Welcome to the Living Well with Caitlin podcast hosted by me, Caitlin Soule, where I often record in the car and on the fly because let's be real, life is a bit crazy these days. I am a licensed therapist, a mom to three kiddos, a wife, and a very imperfectly evolving human being. My hope on this podcast is to be able to share tips and tools and insights with you both from my clinical practice and from my life experience to help you learn to live well with whatever struggle life throws your way. Cheers. Hello, it is so good to be sitting here and recording the podcast again today. I am sitting in my car as per usual. As so many of you moms know, the car is one of the greatest saviors during this global pandemic because the car provides us a guaranteed quiet space and even just the opportunity to like sometimes drive somewhere else and park um, somewhere with different scenery than the four walls of your own home or your office um, so that you have the opportunity to just reflect and think and maybe even problem solve or just be or plan whatever it is I know you get it the car is um can be such a healing place I know it sounds ridiculous but also it's just the only place that we get like I said quiet so here I am sitting in my car um because I want to talk to you about a really important topic today I wanted to do a little mini coaching session for parents and adults who work with children or just love children around how we can help our children with pandemic-related mental health issues. It is a huge topic right now. I know we're hearing things like, oh, the mental health pandemic is the second pandemic. I would say it's very much the parallel pandemic to the very real COVID-19 pandemic. I want to talk about first what I'm seeing in my clinical practice um, when it comes to some of the issues that children are struggling with now across the developmental age span. So our young children, five and six, all the way through to our teenagers. And then I want to talk about kind of what we're seeing in the field of psychology as a whole and um, consider what you might be able to do or help you consider what you might be able to do as an adult to support our children through this. So let's start by saying a couple important things and acknowledging the fact that this is hard on everyone. This is really hard on everyone. And I can't even believe that it's been a year. I think back on the podcast, like I actually just look back on the podcast I recorded um, at this time last year, and it was a podcast reflecting on my experience of going to Oprah's tour in San Francisco with my mom and my sister-in-law. And it was just this amazing weekend, and I felt so inspired and so ready to tackle all the things. And then, you know, as the world would have it, or as nature would have it, or whatever we want to say science would have it, the global pandemic hit just a week or two later and our world was forever changed. My world was forever changed. Around this time last year, we had spring break plans like so many people to take our children to Disneyland. I know, very fortunate. Um, And we ended up deciding to cancel before Disneyland got shut down, days before it got shut down. And so it was just like, I think about the fact that it's been a year and I even have chills talking about it. It feels like it's been 10. I don't even know how else to say that. And I'm sure you could relate to that sentiment. But 
it's just been so many things. It's been heavy and hard and confusing and uncertain and enlightening and powerful and maybe made us connect more to the people we love or pull away from the people that weren't serving us anymore or relationships that weren't serving us anymore friendships, relationships, whatever it might be. This year has been a lot. And I know us as adults can recognize that and are able to put words to that, are able to talk about it, hopefully, you know, with with our partners or with our even our therapist or our friends. Our children, however, have a harder time in general with having the language they need in order to express specifically what it is they're feeling. And so I just want to acknowledge that that is one of the hard parts about the experience, I think, for our kiddos is that they don't have the same capacity that we have as adults to be able to talk about um, our experience and then do the very real processing and figuring out what to do about those feelings. So we have to remember that this is not just affecting us as adults, but it is affecting our children. And I think most parents recognize that, but I will say we have a tendency and I'll own it too, as adults to want to sort of speed past our children's feelings. We want to sort of say, it's okay. It'll be okay. Um, it's not that bad. Or look at all these fun things we get to do or so-and-so has it worse than we do. Right. And that idea of comparative suffering is just so incredibly disvalidating and not helpful just because somebody else on paper or in theory, or maybe, um, in your opinion, has it worse than you do or worse than your child does, it doesn't take away your child's very real experience. So the loss of things like not being able to have sixth grade graduation or um, sorry, fifth grade graduation and, and the transition into junior high or, you know, eighth grade graduation or high school graduation or missing their prom or not having seen their friends in months in person, those are very real experiences that kids should have the space and um, permission and support around grieving. So yes, while they're not dying and while maybe they haven't lost a loved one due to COVID, it doesn't make their experience of loss any less real because it's all relative. So the first kind of thing I want to acknowledge here is that while yes children are struggling I'll talk about how and what I'm seeing in my practice in a minute but the best thing we can do as adults and loved ones to children is validate their experience allow them to feel whatever it is they're feeling don't try and problem solve or fix it don't try and talk them out of their feelings your role is simply to listen and validate and that sounds like yeah I know this has been really hard I understand why you must feel so lonely or I see this is so hard for you and I know you're doing your best. Those are all examples of some validating statements you can make depending on your child's experience. So if you don't hear anything else in this whole podcast, I hope you can walk away remembering (laughs) um, validate, validate your child's experience. It's the best thing we can do for our children and it's going to allow them or encourage them to keep 
the communication lines open. So if they need help in the future or something more serious comes up that they're struggling with, they're much more likely to come to you and talk to you than they are if you go into fix-it mode, problem-solving mode, or worse, invalidate their experience by telling them they don't actually have it that bad or they don't know what bad is, right? Totally not helpful. Okay, hear that and then let's move on. I want to talk a little bit about what I'm seeing in my practice um, here in Petaluma and Northern California when it comes to children and mental health. Thanks for listening to the podcast. In a world where I know you have 5 million other choices, I really appreciate your support. If you like what you heard here, please head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave me a review. You can also email me at hello at livingwellwithcaitlin.com with any questions or ideas for future episodes. If you want to dive a little bit deeper and do some of this work yourself or find out what resources are out there, what I provide, head to livingwellwithcaitlin.com. So I want to talk a little bit about what I'm seeing for myself and my practice and my work with kids and families. I want to say this first, though. I am just one therapist in a sea of so many, (laughs) in a sea of, um, you know, a part of a larger mental health field. And I think I can speak for most of us, most therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, and say that there is so much need for mental health help right now. We are completely overwhelmed and we don't have the capacity to take on the amount of clients or patients that we would need to in order to provide enough care for everyone. That's just the sad truth. And it's because mental health has been such a low priority for us as a culture and as you know, as a nation for so long. And um, sadly, we're paying the price for it or our people are paying the price for it. So I feel overwhelmed sometimes when I continue to get calls and I want to be able to take on more and, you know, see more people. But I also know that there's a capacity, there's a limit to people that I can see and still do effective work. The other main issue in private practice, and that's what I'm in, is that it's more expensive than having a lot of times it's more expensive than going through a clinic or community mental health. Um, but when you have a specialty area like I do, which is cognitive behavioral therapy or another evidence-based specialty area, or you specialize in treating certain disorders like anxiety or depression, like I do, you tend to, um, therapists like me tend to actually not take insurance. And that's for a lot of different reasons, but mostly because I'll just say it bluntly, their insurance companies are really difficult to work with and have terrible compensation rates. So I'm a human being, I have a family of my own, and I need to be able to make my business profitable. So it's really difficult sort of dichotomy between being a business owner and um, obviously needing to, you know, make profit and then also um, being somebody who cares incredibly about the health and well-being of others and wants to help as many people as possible. Sometimes those two things don't line up and that's where we as therapists are trained to weigh to weigh out our our choices and our decisions. So I feel like this need to apologize to anybody out there right now even though it's not on me as a solo person but collectively for all of us in the field of mental health I want to apologize that we are unable to offer the help that we need to enough people right now. 
Um, again, it's a complicated issue, but I know it sucks. And I know there's people out there that don't get calls back for days and days or weeks or just get put on wait lists. And that is so incredibly hard and frustrating. And I want to validate that when you finally made the effort to reach out and try and get help for yourself or your loved one and you can't, it's just really, really hard and shitty. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Having said that, what I'm seeing in my private practice with the children and adolescents that we work with is, of course, an increased rate of worry and anxiety, increased feelings of depression and hopelessness, a sort of sense of apathy around life and school and friends and future. You know, the pandemic hit at a time where children were already in a lot of unrest because of the changing political climate and climate change and just so much going on in the world that we didn't even need a global pandemic to have to deal with uncertainty and um, feelings of, yeah, big feelings of uncertainty and fear that was already there. And then the pandemic just layered it on, right? It was like a big whammy. So you know, um, for, for these kids, there's just a a sense, a a big sense of, um, I guess the thing I would say the most is just like, they're going through the motions, but they're not getting joy or feeling excited about many of the things that they used to, because quite frankly, and honestly, those things aren't there anymore. I say to my, my teens, especially it's like, you know, you're going through and you're, you're working hard in school and you're trying to do all the things, but all the fun's been taken out of it. And that sucks again, validating their experience. Um, so yeah, increased anxiety around maybe just, you know, the world, the state of the world, um, their risk of getting it or spreading it. That's a big thing, spreading it to their loved ones, their parents or grandparents balanced out with their need to be, you know, social because that's real too. It's a very important developmental task. Um, and so that's there. And then the anxiety for many of our clients who have social anxiety, having to be on zoom or online, it's like, they're constantly feeling like they're the screens on them and they're in the spotlight. That is really hard for a lot of kids when they get called on by their teacher or have to talk. It's just this like enormous sense of stage fright. Um, and so that's been really hard. I have to say though, for some of our kids with anxiety, being on zoom and doing distance learning has been a powerful way for them to actually avoid a lot of their worry triggers that they were dealing with at school, having to be in person. So there are some kids, I'm not, I don't know what percentage here, but there are some kids who actually prefer distance learning and being home. It just makes them feel more safe and more comfortable. And the double-edged sort of that is, yeah, that's great. And I hear them on that, but it's going to be really hard Um, well, let's just say it's doing nothing good for their social anxiety. It's actually just allowing them to avoid more and it's going to be super hard or maybe I should say a little (laughs) extra hard when it comes time to go back to school because they're out of practice. So that's the kind of, I'd say like, um, types of anxiety I'm seeing and then just the anxiety of not being able to not knowing right all the uncertainty involved in what their future will be like will they go to college will they not will they go back to school next year will they not um you know all that uncertainty just like it does in adults creates a whole lot of anxiety depression wise I am seeing just like I said this sort of low motivation what's the point the sentiment that like 
all the fun's been taken out of things. So I'm just going to do what I have to do and get by, but whatever, right? And that is so, so difficult to see. And I know for parents, sad to see. And for me as a clinician, hard because all of the resources we had to offer before, you know, um, some of them are still there, like get out and move your body, go for a walk. Um, but like socialization, like I said, is a huge part and play for our younger kids of our kids, mental and emotional health. And so much of that has been stripped away. So, um, kids who weren't, or who had never experienced symptoms of anxiety or depression are experiencing it for the first time ever. And I think, for us in the field of psychology, that's, it's just a huge red flag. We understand why they're experiencing it. It makes sense, but we also know that it won't just end when the pandemic ends. And so that's really hard. Um, you know, and then on the more serious side, I am seeing kids who had never experienced suicidal ideation or engaged in self-harm starting to engage in those behaviors as well. And that's, you know, out of their deep feelings of loss and pain and grief and their inability to um, cope with those in healthy ways or their loss of access to the community and the people that were able to help them cope with those things. So many of our teens are sitting on screens. I don't have to tell you this because you probably, you're living it, right? Not just our teens, but our kids across the age spectrum. They're sitting on screens for hours a day with incredible workloads, with teachers who are trying their best, but are unable to help them, are, are oftentimes unable to help them in the way that these kids need help. And then, you know, their parents are working or helping the younger siblings, and there's just no support. And then they get off, you know, Zoom and they go and they game or they do whatever they do, but they're missing that critical face-to-face in-person interaction that sort of balances out all the hard stuff about being their age and being in school. So, um, yeah, it's really difficult. There's, I don't, I mean, I could go on forever and I I don't want to paint a picture of doom and gloom, but it is pretty dire and it is pretty hard right now. So and then one more thing before I go into something else is I, we are also seeing some early signs of PTSD, um, and the PTSD for a couple different reasons. Uh, sadly, a lot of kids are experiencing or have been exposed to trauma. They're in the home more often. So maybe they have abusive parents, um, or they, you know, they, so they've had to see things that they never had to see before or see them more often, or, um, you know, maybe they're living with parents who lost their job or one parent who lost their job. And so they're experiencing the trauma of, from that experience. And then also the trauma around their whole life, hear this, their whole life changing instantly. It's like one day they were in school, then they were out of school the next day for two weeks, and then it became a year. And so everything they knew to be true dramatically changed in a really quick short amount of time. So those are the issues I'm seeing on my end. I have to say that I am not in a community mental health um, clinic and I am not in a clinical or a hospital setting inpatient outpatient. That is a whole, I, I think they're basically seeing what I'm seeing, but on a more severe spectrum. And in fact, I asked one of my colleagues to weigh in, um, who I used to work at, uh, who I used to work with. And now he is a part of, um, 
he works in a large mental health clinic. I'll just say that, um, inpatient, outpatient. And he, I asked him, what are you seeing in your, in your clinic? And, and here's what he said. And, and it is pretty intense, but I think it's really important to hear. Um, we are seeing a big surge in pandemic related psychiatric problems, depression, anxiety, and behaviorally acting out are all issues on the rise right now. Lots of anxiety about Zoom classes and being on camera. I notice with many of the teens that they are anxious about their future in general due to the pandemic, politics, and climate change. I'm seeing a lot of hopelessness too. Kids have no motivation to do online school and they don't see the point. Unfortunately, we're seeing increased rates of self-harm that seems related to the pandemic as well. And without the social stimulation and access to other resources, these poor kids' mental health are really suffering. If it takes a village to raise a child, the kids have lost that village and are down to the parents who have been forced into roles they never intended to fulfill. That last part really gets me. I'm going to read that sentence again. It takes a village to raise a child. The kids have lost... It takes a village to raise a child. The kids have lost the village and are down to their parents who have been forced to fulfill roles they never intended to fulfill. I mean, if that doesn't nail it, I don't know what does. Thank you, Brian, for that (laughs) um, information. But it's just, it's so true. So, okay, let's talk about what we can do. Because I'm sure you're like, okay, thanks, Caitlin. Now I feel horrible. I'm super depressed. I'm worried about my kiddo. Um, So here's where I'm going to say something important. Yes, we are all in the same storm, but we're on different boats. That's been a big saying that's going around on social media lately. And it's so true. We're all in the same storm, but we're all in different boats. Just like us as adults, children have different levels of resiliency. In general, children are incredibly resilient and incredibly psychologically flexible. So there is hope. We just have to be willing to help them and support them so that when we're out of this pandemic or when they're back in school, um, they have, or yeah, right now, and then they have the tools they need to deal with their, their big feelings. So remember, your child might not be suffering like some other children, and that's okay. Or your child might be really, really suffering, and it has nothing necessarily to do with you as a parent, but everything to do with... Um, with, with what their experiences is, what they're feeling internally, and maybe what they're, what they're dealing with, what they were dealing with pre-pandemic and how the pandemic really acted like a pressure cooker to highlight it. Of course, environment is really important. So we do need to create a safe, warm, and loving environment for our kids. And I know that's really hard right now. I'm just going to be really honest. We're tired. We're tapped out. Many of you are working all day from home. You're exhausted and quite frankly, the fun's been sucked out of life a lot for you too. So it's hard, but remember that it is a season. It's a long season. I'll give you, I'll give us that, but it is a season and we owe it to our children to show up in the best way that we can, not unrealistically, not perfectly, but to be willing to say sorry when you make mistakes and to be willing to make a huge effort to create a safe, warm and loving environment for our kids. That's number one because environment does matter. Number two, 
like I said in the beginning of the podcast, one of the most important things we can do for our children is let them have their experience, validate their feelings, encourage them to talk about it. I know teens don't really want to talk to their parents about it, but that's the only people they really have to talk to largely right now. So, you know, maybe now's your chance. Validate, listen, don't lecture, don't try and talk them out of it. Don't even talk too much. Just listen. And then say things like, I know this is really hard. I see you. I see you. I understand what you're, or I can understand how hard this is, or I see how hard you're working. Things like that. And then when you can, where you can find lots of opportunity for movement, getting outside or wherever you have to do it, exercise. I know this sounds like, um, like over, you know, on repeat or cliche, but exercise is so beneficial to our mental and emotional health, especially our children who are locked up inside most of the time on zoom these days. Um, so get, get a lot of movement in when you can, or at least some, at least 20 minutes a day. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and then find fun where you can find adventure and spontaneity where you can. I know that's really annoying because you're like, yeah, Caitlin, but where, (laughs) But if you can be creative, maybe it's, gosh, I know we're so over board games, but maybe it's um, even just talking about and planning for the future. Um, even if the future is unknown, what might happen in the future? What might, what possibilities might be there? Um, what dreams do your children hold? Um, could you go on a bike ride somewhere that you haven't been before? Can you find fun? Can you find hope? I think it's really important for our children that, yes, we we don't we don't try and just be positive and say everything's okay, but we put the effort into finding perspective and hope because it's also overwhelming if we just sink in the negativity and the sadness and the grief. Yes, we need to allow ourselves to feel those things, and then we also need to find perspective and find hope and help our children do the same. So let me review a couple of things. So um, don't engage in comparative suffering. Validate the hell out of their feelings. Encourage them to, that's the part I missed, encourage them to reach out if they need help. Say, I understand it can be hard to talk to your parents about these things sometimes or to talk to me about these things sometimes. If you want to talk to a professional, I will make that happen. And whether you have to find find a professional on your own, like I said, I know there's a lot of challenges in that space right now. Or if you need to call the school, there is help available. Um, But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to find it right now, but it is available. So reach out, offer them that opportunity, throw them a lifeline. Okay. Don't engage in comparative suffering, validate, throw them a lifeline, encourage movement. I know your teen's going to be grumpy and say they don't want to go for a walk. Take them anyway. Um, And find fun where you can. And then... Lastly, I think in order to help sort of mitigate some of the anxiety or worry your child may have about going back to in-person school, because I know we're, um, many of us are on the verge of that, I would say the most important thing you can do, again, let them have their feelings about it, um, and then practice, you know, um, practice driving by the school, show them where you're going to be dropping them off, maybe even have mock conversations with friends or teachers, anything you can do to help them move towards facing their worries and fears instead of avoidance because avoidance has been 
um, a very real part of their life for an entire year. So it's normal that kids are going to feel a little extra worried and concerned right now or anxious about going back to school. Some kids may not. They might feel super excited and ready. It just depends on your child's sort of personality and, and, you know, experience. So, um, practice. Um, and then also the final thing I'll say is take your own temperature when it comes to this stuff, right? Before you engage in a conversation with your child, in other words, make sure that you're not offloading as we do sometimes some of your stress or your too many of your opinions or thoughts on things so that they don't have space to have their own feelings about it. So if we come into the room storming and are like those effing schools or whatever, like, you know, it's really, yeah, I get it. We feel it, but it's really not helpful for our kids. So again, I'm only saying this because I'm right there with you. I'm not lecturing or coming from above you. I'm coming up from alongside. I'm coming alongside of you um, because I'm experiencing all these very real things too. Okay, that was a lot. I hope it was helpful. I am so happy to answer any questions anybody has about children and mental health during these really difficult times. I'm going to, once this podcast airs, I'll post um, an Instagram question about, you know, does anybody have questions? You can write in, you can DM me, you can email me at hello at livingwellwithcaitlin.com and we can kind of keep the conversation going. This won't be the last podcast episode on this topic because it's a really important one. In fact, Well, it'll probably have aired by the time this episode airs, but I got the opportunity and I'm really excited about it to go on our local news affiliate, Channel 2, KTVU, to talk about children and pandemic-related mental health, anxiety about being out of school and going back to school. So if I'll try and I'm going to try and find a way, I'm sure there'll be a way to put the clip on my website or link to it on my website. So head over to livingwellwithcaitlin.com or my Instagram page at livingwell underscore with Caitlin to just kind of see what I'm up to and hopefully um, find some inspiration or some guidance or help in some of the mental and emotional health related stuff I put out there into the world. Deep breaths, lots of grace, lots of kindness towards yourself. Cheers.